hello and welcome to In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and B. This show engages with hundreds of bands around the world, bringing to you weekly news, reviews, competitions and auctions and much, much more. Check out our website inexcessaccessallareas.com and join the active and engaging community of amazing fans who also love In Excess. Hello, welcome to Access Access All Areas, episode 83 of the podcast that does its introduction as B smiles away at me. Hello, B. Before I go into that, we dive deep into Excess. We try to get to the Hall of Fame and we try fun along the way. Hello again. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. I thought you we were putting to... me off by not putting me off today. Oh, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> you were having issues with your, your um, audio and I thought, is it going to work or isn't it going to work? So I smiled. Not I have didn't... no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> As always, you're in excess week. It's always big and bountiful. I feel like the news, I'm struggling to keep the news clips down to 10 <laughs> points. So there's something happening every day. In fact, there's some late breaking news I might be able to share on the news today. But yeah, uh, actually, I was going to yeah. say, can I have a little bit on the news today? Because I've got a few bits and pieces to say. Yes, I'm, I'm having a very heavy Pepsi at the moment. A but, very um, heavy Pepsi. Yeah, well, like, I'd, I think I'd like third, to... Are you on your third one or fourth? God, I wish. I've had a bit of a day. I'd like to start off with saying thank you to Glenn Davis. Because he popped up last week, didn't he? That was a little bit of a treat for you. Was it the rap he did at the end or? He did the news. He did the news, yeah. Yeah, I did. I did, I did hear the dulcet tones. It sounded different um, <laughs> from usual. But uh, yes, thank you, Glenn. Uh, very avid uh, patron and contributor as well. I'm looking forward. I'm going to meet him at the weekend. Who's just started his own podcast as well, by he the way. He has, actually, yes. Have you listened yeah. yet? I haven't yet, but I did ask him a little bit about it and he gave me a rundown, mm, so uh, mm, shall do. Mm. But um, It's about his memoirs, which is yeah. um, quite fun. Um, yeah, so I'm meeting him and Paul Jolie. Okay. Yay. That's, that's uh, Paul Jolly for the Australian folk. Drinky you know, the French pronunciation. <laughs> he went Paul Jolie. <laughs> Drinky Paul pose jo- with the boys. Paul, Can't wait. Paul Jolly, as we would say in Australia. What's sort of come across your desk this week? Anything exciting, anything to share? I mean, that's okay if there's nothing, but if there is, love to hear it. Well, there was something actually today. Yeah, on Instagram, I think Carrie-Anne found some new pictures of Michael. Did you Mm -hmm. see those? I saw something that was popped out there, yeah. Yeah, new picture of Michael. So let me do this because I screenshot it so I could read it to you. I'm not going to read it all, don't worry, but there's some Mm. great photos, two new photos of Michael. One was, can you see that, Hayde? Just going in and out a little bit. bit. Put by my face. A little bit there. It looks like his top's off. Is that right? Yes. He's got his top (laughs) off. (laughs) Caught my eye for some reason. Hello, ladies. (laughs) So back in 1987, um, yep. this guy, I think it must be called Phil Nichols, yep. um, photographer back in Bristol on the 5th of December. He must have posted that to the days, maybe. Around 15 months after a shoot that he did at Red Rocks, um, he met them in Bristol. Yep. And um, over dinner at the hotel, Michael asked if there'd be a photo shoot, but the press officer at the time said no that's off limits blah 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 anyway michael managed to get this guy to come into his hotel room and he took his top off and they they had some photos taken <laughs> i thought you said they had some fun uh, maybe <laughs> well there you go um and yeah for, i think something to do with melody maker back in britain uh-huh yeah interesting time frame uh, december 87 they were in england at the time so it was just after kick got released so hmm. maybe they're doing some press or some promo work over there Hmm, I don't know. And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? And I 
As I segue nicely, I saw a documentary this week. It was on one of the pay TV channels. I think it's on some streaming platforms about Alanis Morissette. Wow, what a what a great watch. Nothing to do with an excess at all, but, you know, time and a place in the 90s. Uh, they started interviewing this lady, and I thought, oh, who's this lady they're, they're chatting to? Is this sort of one of the publicists? And it took me about 60 seconds to realise it was Alanis Morissette. And not that she's aged greatly. I mean, she's 47 now, so she has aged a little bit. Uh, she was sitting up in a regular little posse there with her feet sort of, you know, under her legs, like in a classroom and chatting away, and she was... Fantastic, just recounting her journey and her story because for those who don't know, she started off as a bit of a teeny bopper sort of type mm-hmm. Debbie Gibson-esque person in Canada and then got dropped from her label and then five years later came back and Madonna signed her up to her Maverick label, which was a more independent one. And, well, you know, the world uh, went berserk. So, um, yeah, Well, we went berserk when not- <laughs> uh, Nick Egan did the video. Well, he was on one of them, wasn't he? Was he it did the or, you ought to know one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Along the so, uh, salt flats. Well, there isn't an excess tie in there, so there you go. There you go. <laughs> totally good excess, but we just found a link. But um, yeah, do yourself a favour. That was a great uh, two-hour sort of doco there. And interestingly, those who don't know, that Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters was her drummer in those Halcyon days. Oh. Then took the call from Dave Grohl. And uh, the rest is history. But uh, she's got a musical that's sort of uh, done well on uh, on Broadway and I think it's coming to Australia uh, soon. And um, I think it's called Jagged Little Pill. So uh, if you're anywhere in the world, probably encourage you to go see it. Sounds like it'll be a good watch. Okay, is she double vaxxed? Not letting her in of all <laughs> Well, there is the topic about vax later. I will uh, share with you. But last week, B, we had the chance to dive deep on the beeline with Simon Yo and uh, some of the, you know, the the footage you got, you know, of the concert that we were able to play out with last week. And Tim, Tim being, uh, you could hear Tim going, "Oh boy, base, oh, I haven't practiced for a while." And if you listen close enough, you can hear sort of some reluctance from them coming up, although they were happy to oblige in the end. And also, just on that episode, we spoke during the week. Bit about John's song "I'm Over You," which sounded to me like Shabu Shabab meets um, uh, orchestral maneuvers in the dark in 1985. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, OMD. It sounded very sort of uh, early 80s new romantic thing with a touch of probably uh, all know, in, <laughs> but yeah, with a touch of the old in excess early days, twisting those funny little noises. I guess in the episode itself, uh, you know, regarding sort of Simon, there uh, we had some good feedback, like we do most weeks about the episodes, but. I think people like the idea of sort of going back in time as a fly on the wall and listening to that one. Yeah, and some uh, ladies actually told me they uh, they liked his voice. <laughs> I did see that. Yeah, you did. Uh, oh, right. uh, yeah. So Simon, I guess, was able to sort of bring us into sort of a time and a place. And I know, you know, as a as a listener to that sort of episode before you sort of edited it all and then listening to it after, he was quite um, thoughtful. Yeah, thoughtful, and 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 he looked back sort of with some sort of you know mm. regard to that era, and 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 you know he, he took lessons from maybe certain aspects oh, of, yeah. of you know of life, and you know learning about people and issues and and scenarios, and probably mm. learned that he probably Michael taught him it's best to speak up if you feel something, you know. So mm. we know at the moment around the world everyone's going through a bit of a tough time. So if you've got a friend in need and you sense something, it's better to speak up than attend a funeral, isn't it? Yeah, well, gosh, yeah. And yeah. the the bit where he said he was aloof, 
I can't imagine you ever saying you'd be aloof, Hayden. It's not a, an Australian thing, but I think it is quite an, a, an English thing to do sometimes. And it's not being aloof as in snobby, even though no. it comes across. It's more like... Being distant. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah no, with it, look, it's something that gets used to. It's not a common adjective, but mm. I think people being aloof, sometimes are just being silent and distant and, and not yeah. revealing some things they're going through and... And it's much different to being arrogant, isn't it? Oh, gosh, yeah. 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 So, but some people get that mixed up, don't they? Anyway, we'll take away our Freudian, you know, sort of uh, yeah, tidbits no. here. And we might <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Hayden. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Nurse B. You're uh, welcome. <laughs> we did announce last week, and we thought we'd just up at the outset of the show, is that we're going to put a sort of virtual uh, concert together, B, aren't we, uh, for In Excess on December 19th? Um, how do you spell virtually? And I couldn't quite remember. Stop it. Don't you dare. <laughs> they sent me a beautiful promo thing today and it had virital content. I'm like, virital, it sounds like a sexual disease. I'm like, uh... <laughs> anyway, we got virtual up eventually. <laughs> we want to, uh, we're going to put up some polls and just to sort of put in perspective a little bit, we'd like some interaction, et cetera, and help our listeners and the greater audience and patrons out there design the ultimate in excess concert uh, that you would love to go to one day or, you know, in, in theory at least, uh, whereby, you know, things such as, you know, what's the opening track? You know, what's going to be uh, the set list? Um, are we going to put songs on each album on in the set list? Uh, who are going to be the bands that support? Uh, what's the last song before the encore? Can we have two encores? Uh, where's the venue? What are the T-shirts going to look like? Uh, what clothes are the band going to be wearing? Okay. So we'd like a bit of ABBA who were doing the, the after vert- party. Yeah, the after party. Okay? <laughs> the after, after, after party. Okay. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Um, so uh, we want to put the ultimate in excess sort of concert together as our sort of send off for the year and this is sort of your chance to sort of think back into your passions about what songs you'd love to see them play one day at a concert. You know, it is obviously very theoretical, but it is uh, something we'd love to put out there and, and weave together. We may even be able to put it into a Spotify playlist, find all those songs and whack them into a <laughs> Can't list. Can't even put the first one together, never mind this one. Wow. All right, yeah, okay. All right, let's just pull back on that a bit. How are we going to get this done? Okay, so we're going to do it via Facebook. We're going to put the lovely promo that I've done. That's going to be posted. And then we'll ask you for your interaction on how this virtual gig will happen. And then I'll put it all together. So I'll put one onto Twitter and one onto Facebook. But if you're not on social media, it's not your thing. Just give us an email. Send us it. Hayden will read it. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun and, um, you know, we want it to be the sort of the mega, mega concert. You know, we we will sort of have a sort of a song quota there and saying, okay, this is the amount of songs we want to put on and we will welcome all your feedback to put the ultimate one together. Soon you'll have a much deeper and meaningful experience with. In excess. Inside in excess. Inside? (laughs) Why not? I guess, B, patrons-wise, you sent me a little message last night saying we have a Ferris who has become a patron. Yes. And, uh, I, know, I know you've got a little excited face. I did get excited. They are in the boondocks of America. In the, they uh, are. They are. And, and they're Ferris- missing an S. Correct. <laughs> Yay. I, I was I was hoping that from a spelling point of view, I didn't need to correct you twice in an episode. <laughs> so you are correct. Well done. Uh, there is uh, one S there. So, but what a cool name, having the name Ferris and loving NXS as a band. I know. So little yeah. Lily. Hi, well, Lily. So Lily's, Lily's one of our newest patrons, I believe. Just one for the week, B. Does that sound right to you? 
It is so far. Yeah. We'd also like to welcome our most valuable patrons who have been there from the start to the latest uh, weeks in supporting us. So, as a new so say hello to everybody outside, it's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello to our honorary members, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Cameron Adams, and Mary Woods. Also like to say hey to our patrons, Sue D, Joe Robbins, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markram, Sarah Camria, Dr. Jim, Katie, Felicia, Lisa Mack, Lisa Urban, Lisa Calloway, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Matt, Linda, Vern, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H, Amanda V, Leon, David, Tracy, Paul Jolie, Paul Boozy, Paul Bridges, Paul Buckley, Sandrine, Warren, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Stefan, Val, Jim, Macy, Kelly, John, Jackie, uh, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Glenn, Laurel, Ace, Bed, Genevieve, Ali, Shelby, Manny, Lori, Lori T, I should say, uh, Jill, Leanne, Peter, Matthew, and Peter Law, aka Leos. Nice to have your company. All right, and we'd always like to give a bit of a hint of the topic this particular week. I know probably, B, I confuse you a little bit with the heading of this particular topic. I think I said Richard Lowenstein, an origin story. Now, for those into the Marvel and DC world, an origin sort of story is where they go back in time and work out how did Batman get his wings and in his suit and how did Batman come about. And it's like it's an original story. So we thought with Richard Lowenstein, who's been a very valuable contributor to the band, probably, as they say, the seventh member, we would do a dive deep just into Richard before he got involved with InXS, uh, the very start of InXS. So people can really appreciate his overall contribution, not only to the band, but also to the arts and the industry as such. Because um, as I said, Richard, Richard, we've had both the chance, I think, of meeting him in the last uh, couple of years. And, you know, he's a true gentleman, a true friend of the band and Michael particularly. And we would like to sort of pay tribute to his career pre in excess, during in excess and post in excess as well, because as much as they're intertwined, you know, Richard is is more than just a band contributor. Mm-hmm. Not just a music video maker. Correct. So this will probably then veer into, we have our origin story today, and then we will veer into a sequel, but then we hope that the third one is the best of all. So Richard may be excited to come onto our podcast. Oh, that would be nice. And uh, round off the trilogy. So mm. uh, Richard, if you do listen to this, we do welcome and have the invitation out. We know we've sent you a few uh, emails uh, and a few texts and things like that. And I know you read them and I know probably one more text might be an AVO or an intervention order, but we love you. <laughs> we want to get you on and we want to celebrate you. So uh, we don't you know, bite my no, nibble. <laughs> no, some of our patrons do, but uh, <laughs> we will keep them at arm's length. Looking forward to diving deep uh, with that in a moment with you, B. Awesome. All right, B, what's it time for? It's time for the news. Hi, it's Dave from England, and you're listening to In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the news. Now, when you said it was time for the news, NB, that really resonated down the uh, microphone line. Have you got a new microphone? 
I do. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me continue with the news before I get heart palpitations. But do you know this last seven days, it actually reflects seven exact years the very best of has been in the Australian top 50. Woohoo! So it hit, it hit 364 weeks divided by 52 weeks is seven years exactly. Wow. And it just happened to be number 50 in the chart. So it went from 46 to 50. So it's hanging on by a thread. Yeah. Uh, but stream, download, file, share, buy, purchase, go to the store, whatever you got to do mm-hmm. to get this thing uh, uh, ramped up to eight years. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do need to pause with a bit of a, an, a, a pause for an applause, B. Yeah. And uh, cue the uh, applause uh, uh, edit later. Okay. You want that <laughs> yeah. now? Yes, well done. Seven years in the charts, definitely deserve to be clapped. Yeah, right. actually, I'd like to give a little clap. Okay. Gig Watch, December 27, not far away. The What You Need boys are in Perth playing over there. So do yourself a favour after Boxing Day, go along and see a great gig. Also, too, a, a great interpreter of the uh, In Excess Legacy is Lee Harding, who we spoke about uh, a few months ago with Dr. Jim about, who does an In Excess songbook. He's playing on January the 2nd at the Arco Bar in Heatherton, which is not too far from where I live. So I might have to check that out. Mm. Don't change, boys. B are in Mooney Beach Hotel, February the fifth. Coffs, Coffs Harbour. B, yep. you got your tickets? You have. Yeah, yes, okay. I have. Thank you. Plural. Have I've you not just got a ticket. I've got a big entourage. I've got a <laughs> massive entourage. Like that many people that want to go to all these in excess gigs. So if anybody is going in a tribute band and wants to come to Coffs Harbour, <laughs> I've got the party. <laughs> Fantastic. Also, too, the Australian In Excess show, March the 8th uh, at the ESPY with uh, Shed Zeppelin, a cover band, and there's one other cover band there as well. Cool cool nickname, Shed Zeppelin. <laughs> they'll be playing guitars with their spades and shovels. Uh, so uh, they'll be sort of joining the In Excess Australian In Excess show on March the 8th. Yeah. Uh, also moving along, there is a podcast that Andrew's popped up on again uh, called the Lovelace Musical uh, Experience Podcast with Andrew Farris. So Lovelace. Lovelace. What a cool name. Right, okay. It reminds me of a 70s uh, sort of R&B singer, I think. Yeah. A Love, I think it was an Aussie guy called Love, Lovelace Watkins or someone like that. Also, too, Record uh, Royale. There was a Midnight Oil, Diesel and Dust versus In Excess Australia, well, Australian show podcast where they sort of compared the two albums against each other. It was a great listen. Plenty you can learn about Midnight Oil, plenty you can learn about uh, In Excess and Kick versus the Diesel and Dust album. Fun listen. I do highly recommend it. It's called the Record Royale Podcast. Also, too, on January 22nd, the most famous of birthdays, uh, Andrew Farris is actually joining uh, a couple of other songwriters in the sort of the country sort of side of things, and they're doing a a symposium or a sort of a get-together for songwriting craft uh, in rural New South Wales, I believe. So uh, I know they were doing that uh, before lockdown, and now they've really sort of set it up. So if you are a songwriter and you want to learn from Andrew Farris, do yourself a favour, check your local guides.
up in a we won't call it medium use. He has popped up in the last hour. Now you're shaking your head. Um, <laughs> what am I about? I've got to be on the fence on this. I think. Okay. Yes. So John does a voice to camera about the uh, vaccination of children. So, um, you know, if you are open up the articles, okay, we don't need a big slanging match about what he says versus what he doesn't say. I think all of us are probably always concerned about what gets injected into our kids, but hopefully uh, John can be uh, coming out and speaking a little bit more about his album and other things soon. Uh, but everyone has the right to voice their opinion. Mm. So we'll leave that at that. Yes, that's uh, it. And, and the last thing in terrible news this particular week, B, Rolling Stone have come out with the top 20, uh, sorry, the top 200 albums in Australia. And, Look, Rolling Stone is an archive of the past. I'm going to do a rant on it this particular week, so I'm going to mm-hmm. save all my juicy bits for the rant. Unixess came in at number two with the Kick album. Yep. And ACDC came in number one with Back in Black. And I know a lot of people are happy about that, but uh, The Swing came in at number 32. Yes. And there was no Shabu Shabar, no, no The Smoke Thieves, no, no Welcome to Wherever You Are. No. And when I looked at the overall charts, um, let me just say that the rankings are done by a bunch of geeks and nerds who have no idea about music. And it's a, a very poor attempt at trying to retain relevance. So it's a mini rant. I will probably get a little bit I'm more. I'm looking forward to the bigger rant. It mm. will come. And it, it, we mm. might have to get the edit button out, okay? The swear jar might have to come out no, as well. I'm going to do this for a I'm going to prod you. Okay. All right. So <laughs> swear jar need will come out in that one. So outside that, be chock full of news again. Uh, you had a couple of things to add to it. Is there anything else you want to share? No, well, I've only got the one that I was just mentioning to you off air about Brian Johnson. I've just looked him up. It's actually from 2017. He had a TV show called <laughs> Brian Jones, A Life on the Road. Brian Johnson. Sorry, Brian, Brian Johnson. Brian Jones is dead. He drowned Brian in the Rolling Jones. Stones. Did, 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 did. <laughs> but actually, it was very interesting because he was um, speaking to the guy at, at the um, who? What's his name? Dalton. Roger Daltrey, the lead singer? Roger Daltrey, yeah. yeah. And he was talking about Keith Moon and everything. And right. really, really interesting. And he said there was that bit about that um, Keith Moon used to trash every hotel room that they used to go to. Mm. He says, but the hotelers actually loved it because they used to claim on the insurance. So when they used to have him come back, they used to give him a different room to trash. And then they, they said, ah, Mr. Moon, I've nearly got a whole new hotel out of you. It reminds, me of a li- it reminds me of a line in one of the great movies of 1983 called Trading Places where Eddie Murphy's um, well, tell a long story short, he's in a house with a bunch of rich blokes who, who uh, he unfortunately drops a vase. Oh my God, I broke the vase. And the, and the, the old timers say to Eddie, Oh, I think that vase was insured at 40,000, not 20,000. Uh, you know, you've just made us a profit already. And then Eddie <laughs> replies, you want me to break something else? <laughs> well, it's very similar then. Yeah. yeah. So he went round and he trashed every room in the hotel over a succession of years. Yes. Well, I think that Brian Johnson thing, that must sort of pertain to the sort of the, the couple of years there where he was out of ACDC because of ear issues because mm. he had to sort of leave the, the last tour about three, four years ago because of, you know, uh, going for, well, apparently going deaf. So yeah. they filled in a, a need for him then. They actually um, touched on that as well because they were saying that most of them are actually wearing earring aids now. (laughs) Well, they're old enough too. Yeah. 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 He looked great though. Um, Old, um, what's his name? Roger. And that's the news. And what happened to Richard Lowenstein's dad? Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up.
Middle Girls from the Netherlands. You're listening to In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and Dee. And now it's time for the topic of the week. Okay, well, I'd like to introduce the topic today and from Hayden in your office, aren't you? Yes, so I do apologise if the audio is a bit tinny and the acoustics aren't there, Miss George Martin. Um, but I sound great, don't I? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you do. But, um, yeah, we're talking all about Richard Lowenstein today, not Lowenstein. And uh, as I said, we're doing a little bit of an origin story and just a bit of a backdrop of where uh, Richard came from in terms of his pre-NXS career and how it led to NXS. So a bit like a superhero movie, uh, B, the origin story of the yeah. uh, superhero. Yeah. Our superhero today is Richard. Yeah, well, one of our superheroes. So, yeah, looking forward to hearing more about Richard. What yeah. you got? Well, look, I, I guess to start off, I mean, Richard uh, was born on March 1st, 1959. He uh, makes him 62. So he's probably sort of as described now as a veteran filmmaker, albeit um, has had a very long and, and distinguished career. And getting to know a bit about Richard's career and diving deep in some research over the last you know, few days, he's, I, I think his mother played a, a really important role uh, as an example setter and as a, a real inspiration for him. You know, he, he's, a, a, I guess, a byproduct along with his, uh, I think his brother and sister, of parents who fled, uh, you know, Nazi Germany there in sort of the 40s. And I think they sort of went via the UK and ended up being in Australia. That heritage and sort of history there has probably stayed with him. But mm-hmm. um, his mother, you know, just just researching her career, uh, her name was Wendy. She had a, a very, very impressive sort of career in the artistic sort of side, so much so that some of uh, Richard's early work was very inspired by Wendy, influenced, you know, some of the early work that's, that uh, Richard went on to do. And in terms of that, you know, Richard sort of studied his craft at uh, what was called the Swinburne Institute of Technology, Film and Television mm-hmm. uh, and graduated in 1979 and now called Swinburne College uh, or Swinburne University. And that's based here in Melbourne. You know, I was going I, to ask, is that in Melbourne? Yeah, is that near it. where you are? Not far, not far. Yeah. yeah. So in the vicinity and, you know, I think throughout sort of Richard's sort of, you know, graduation and early years, you know, he was really coming sort of into the media side around that sort of punk explosion mm. uh, or that without getting too ahead of ourselves. Uh, as I said in my description, uh, I think it was probably Michael's description that Richard was this sort of pasty, sort of white, <laughs> you know, pale guy who then ended up in, in northern Queensland with the cool boys from the uh, northern beaches of Sydney. <laughs> Dream on black girl, black girl Then wake up to a brand new day To find new dreams that washed away yeah, Melbourne in the 70s and, you know, I guess, you know, that sort of period there was probably the, the place where sort of people like Nick Cave uh, was sort of uh, emanated from and his uh, uh, band, The Birthday Party. And some of the uh, the band, well, the the, the person that uh, uh, Richard went on to make the movie Dogs in Space about that uh, Michael starred in was sort of based on that sort of punk movement. So mm-hmm. you sort of get the feeling that Richard sort of lived that and that sort of uh, informed a lot of his early work. So just as sort of a bit of a backdrop with his mother, Wendy, a real inspiration, you know, for Richard and some of the works that he went into. And, you know, as an immigrant to Australia, I think she really embraced the immigrant mentality. And and I think that sort of post, you know, suffragette sort of, you know, sort of movement of, of women in the early sort of 20th century who she embraced a bit of that when she, she came to Australia because, you know, her history, I guess, involves everything from sort of working in proofreading to print and radio journalism 
you know, folklore collections of stories from workers and social activism. You know, she was an oral historian and a public speaker and a writer. As I said, some of that early uh, work of Richard that he sort of went out and did was based on some of the work that his mother did. So, mm. you know, she, I think back in the late sort of 70s there, had a uh, an oral record of sort of the Depression era and it was called Weevils in the Flower and that sort of went on to sort of form or inform one of Richard's first sort of post-uni achievements, which is a film, a short film called Evictions, which Richard won some awards for and I think was based on the workings of his mother and things. So what I'm getting from that is that, um, yeah, there was a lot of respect between him and his mom. They had a quite a good bond by the sounds of it. And she was um, a big influence on his life. Well, yeah. I mean, she, she, some of her works involved, you know, interviewing coal miners and all different things and talking about the depression in Australia and, you know, the, the average day in, uh, of, of a worker and, and uh, how, you know, the depression affected families and things. And if, if you go forward to Richard's first sort of major feature film, Strike Band, that was about, you know, some of the uh, coal miners and I think inspired by some of the workings of his mum. So mm. so I, I guess just to understand Richard a little bit, you know, we don't have to sort of look too far from the home front and what a um, an inspiration we guess. And, again, a lot of what we're talking about today is just interpreting facts and drawing parallels. So, but I, I think that, uh, you know, Richard must have gained some sort of inspiration from the workings of his mum and and his father and and coming them coming to a new country and being forced out of a said war torn Germany and you know it's sort of reflected in some of the work that Richard you know followed up with. And what did his dad do? Now between our opening a little salvo there about what does what does his dad do at the start of the episode be? I have done some research. <laughs> well, his father was Werner, and look, he, he was probably not. There's not as much on him uh, as there is on Wendy, but he was uh, one of the subjects interviewed by uh, his wife Wendy and co-author Morag uh, in a very famous book called The Immigrants, uh, that told the story of 17 immigrants who came to Australia and uh, just their experiences and things. And there is some great little videos if you do, uh, you know, uh, go onto a couple of links. You can get to know a bit about him and probably, again, a source of great inspiration, you know, in getting the family out of Germany and for Richard to have the life that he was able to get. So we'll probably leave the backdrop at that. Again, it's just interesting to sort of probably, you know, I'm sure, you know, Richard appreciates getting that chance to to be in Australia under the conditions uh, unlike what his parent parents experienced. Yeah, very inspiring story. Back to Richard, though, uh, who obviously is the centerpiece of things today. Uh, you know, Richard uh, was very fortunate, I guess, well, not fortunate, but just very, very um, uh, rewarded in terms of some of his early work. He had the short film, film Evictions, which uh, Rado Prize, and that was sort of the best uh, short film at the Melbourne International Film Festival, which is still a festival that goes to these days. And that was, again, based on his mother's book, Weevils in the Flower. Um, and the book sort of detailed a lot of stuff about sort of unions and uh, policing and evicting people and the unemployed. So, again, it gets back to that sort of uh, period of life, which was a, a real struggle uh, in most countries during that period. It did lead, you know, Richard suddenly to get a chance to do a music video. And 
you know, it'd be interesting to know, was that sort of something that came by chance or something that sort of came by um, sort of circumstance? But he was able to do his first ever video called Leap for Lunch, and that was with an art sort of punk band, as we sort of alluded to earlier, here in Melbourne uh, in 1980. And that particular punk band was uh, the guy that went on to become the, the inspiration for Michael's character, a guy called Sam uh, Sajatka. And he was sort of one of those uh, guys that probably was the centrepiece of the punk movement. You know, Richard probably by living with him, sort of like, well, we're doing a video. Well, would you like to do it, Richard? And that opened up maybe a new foray or a new medium for, for Richard to explore. And, uh, and not long after... After that, you know, one of Melbourne's most famous bands, uh, a band called Hunters and Collectors that are a fantastic Australian band. They've probably got, you know, 25 to 30 major songs and hits here in Australia um, and never really made it overseas. Um, but uh, he went on to sort of produce one of the very first videos. Uh, and that uh, that song was called Talking to a Stranger, which uh, if you go onto YouTube, you'll see that particular video. It's a fantastic video. It's a great song. You can see the stylistic effect of what, you know, Richard has. And filmmakers have their own, you know, certain sort of um, signature or, or stamp on their work. And I think Richard was always able to sort of start off that that really cool sort of uh, imagery with that almost subtle animation going through some of the videos. And you can sort of think, see that on the Talking to a Stranger clip. Uh, and that was a clip that I think aroused, you know, Michael Hutchins' attention about the band and Richard and things as well. So it was a very, very important video, I think, in Richard's career, springboarded, you know, Richard into a lot of then video work thereafter. This, the band who actually did that, and you might know the other famous song they did, which is called Throw Your Arms Around Me, uh, which is on the radio a lot. That was probably their biggest hit, a song that Eddie Vedder, you know, covers a lot live around the world, and especially when he's in Australia with Pearl Jam. But, uh, yeah, the Talk to a Stranger clip, you know, is a very, very seminal and pivotal clip uh, that sort of set up Richard's career, not because he was just a video artist, but it, it just opened doors, I think, for him in the industry. I think, you know, the band Hunters Collectors were keen. They got into another follow-up clip. Uh, but then he got a chance to work with uh, a guy called Tim Finn, who is the brother of Neil Finn. Now, you know, most people around the world know Neil Finn for his work with Crowded House uh, and some of his early work with Split Ends. Uh, but Tim uh, went off and went solo, you know, for his career and, and probably had one of the biggest albums in Australia, one of his lead-up lead singles that is probably annoying these days but was sort of the almost top song of the year was a song called there's a fraction too much friction. But the clip is fantastic. Uh, and I think you get those really cool uh, Richard flourishes where you have that sort of video, uh, live, uh, real-time sort of actors, and then you get these sort of colourful animated flourishes. Time, the equivalent of the ARI Awards or the equivalent of the Our Grammy Awards, uh, Richard uh, picked up uh, Best Promotional Video for A Fraction Too Much Friction. So, again, probably got him into the sort of the consciousness of the uh, Australian audiences and things and other bands, you know, in terms of his uh, craft. Richard was then hunted down uh, for more Tim Finn film clips. He also did some uh, work with a great song called Taxi Mary by Jojo Zepp and the Falcons. Joe Camilleri, who went on 
sponsor for the Black Sorrows, you know, hired Richard for this film clip, which was uh, Taxi Mirror, which is a great song, great clip. Uh, and also uh, Richard then went on to direct one of the great film clips in Australia called Saturday Night by a band called Cold Chisel, which was lead, the lead singer Jimmy Barnes from Good Times fame. And this single was quite controversial B at the time. It was one of the last singles released by Cold Chisel. It was filmed in 1984 and it was filmed at the Mardi Gras in Sydney in Oxford Street. And there's Jimmy and Ian Moss from the band walking through the streets singing the song amongst all the uh, backdrop of the Mardi Gras, which in those days was probably not as, as uh, you know, uh, au fait with the public as it is now. So that was quite a seminal clip, I think, in Richard's career too. And it was not too long later that obviously in excess then got involved with Richard uh, with his stuff. And we're going to sort of elaborate that on the uh, next episode. That was a bit of a game changer in terms of the video world and led to then Richard sort of dealing with a whole bunch of other artists that, you know, we can elaborate on today. Uh, Richard then went and produced up until that point the most successful single for the models called Barbados, mm-hmm. which is sort of a reggae rock tinge song that I think number one or two in the Australian charts. It was a massive hit for them. He then got a chance to work with a very famous gentleman called Pete Townsend from The Who. I Uh, saw that, yeah. Yeah. So um, I think, again, whether it was sort of the work within Excess or the early work in the Australian clips, you know, Richard was suddenly getting an international profile. Yeah, yeah. Um, And Pete had a very famous sort of song around the time. It was a bit annoying, actually. It was called Face the Face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was a hit in the in the UK. It was a top ten I hit in Australia. I think I remember it. Yeah, it was yeah. before Rim, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, uh, well, it was a very unhooish like, which I guess yeah. I guess you probably are going to do that when you are sort of uh, you know doing something solo. But uh, Richard got a chance to sort of do three singles off that particular album. Uh, the other ones were Secondhand Love and also another song called Give Blood. You know that probably. You know, getting a chance to work with someone as sort of famous uh, mm. as Pete Townsend, uh, you know, was was pretty exciting. And I think that sort of was part of, I think, of a movie that he was putting together called White City, the music movie. And uh, I think it was a 60-minute video that, um, you know, Pete had sort of put together and it was sort of based, on, I think, on his uh, a book uh, about the life of, you know, Pete Townsend and things. But video itself, I, I guess, and the, and, the, and the whole sort of experience there, uh, I think was a, as I said, a bit of a, a game changer for for Richard getting involved with uh, with Pete Townsend. Yeah, well, it would it elevates you into international realm yeah. of things, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Mm. And suddenly, in the I guess in the next very next I think year, uh, we saw the the birth of Crowded House, which uh, I guess for uh, for Neil Finn, brother of Tim Finn, uh, was a game changer for Neil and his band because. Uh, their very first album took off uh, globally, sold millions in America and around the world. And uh, the very first single The Crowded House had, uh, which to me is still one of their best songs and one of their best videos, is a song called Mean to Me. And that was filmed uh, in Melbourne. It's got a very Melbourne flavour to it, mm-hmm. with plenty, plenty of trams and mm-hmm. plenty of shots of St Kilda and inner, inner city sort of Melbourne. But it's got that really cool sort of animated slash sort of, you know, live uh, feel to it. That song, you know, was a, was a, a real burst out of the block sort of song. I think the clip, there's two versions. There's the clip itself, then there's an intro version that sort of, uh, you know, the band sort of do their playful thing. (laughs) 
Richard also went on to do uh, a single off her second album called Into, Into Temptation, which was, um, again, a, a hit in Australia and uh, I think sort of uh, charted in the lower reaches of the Billboard charts when it came out in America. Additionally, Richard went on to direct videos in 1986 for a band called Big Pig, which is a, a cool name, Big Pig. <laughs> the uh, lead singer of that, she was also one of the uh, people who popped up in the song uh, called Motorcycle Baby, which oh. is uh, a track that we've uh, highlighted before on the podcast, which mm-hmm. is a, mm-hmm. a side project called Echo Homo. And with Troy. With Troy, that's correct. So he did a couple of videos for Big Pig. Um, and again, you know, as we'll touch on with the NXS stuff in the next episode, the work he did with sort of NXS then led to, you know, work with Michael on his sort of Rooms for the Memory single off the uh, Dogs and Space soundtrack. But more importantly, it then led to uh, Bono hunting Richard down and getting him to be involved in the Rattle and Hum uh, videos for the songs Desire and also Angel of Harlem, which I think the Angel of Harlem clip is is fantastic. Mm, yeah, uh, it, it's a it's a, it's a it's a pastiche or a homage to Billie Holiday being the Angel of Harlem or who she was. And the song Desire, there's a great film clip there and a great extended clip, I think the Voodoo Economics 12-inch mix of Desire and the clip in uh, the street where Bono is sort of walking up the street with the guitar and everything is a pretty cool clip. I think both clips are black, are black and white, but, you know, without In Excess and without sort of Richard there, you know, and without the relationship between Bono and Michael, uh, we probably wouldn't have seen uh, you two know who Richard was, albeit the Pete Towns and stuff. But like everything, you two are great appropriators and this is where uh, a time they followed In Excess rather than led them. They, they, they stole the IP and got Richard sort of on board with them. Again, those clips, when you go back and watch them, they do have those little sort of Richard timestamps and signature sort of uh, flourishes on them. Mm. Moving along, uh, when Michael took a year off from NXS and the band members took a year off, Michael went and did the Max Q album, uh, Way of the World, and sometimes are two clips that Richard did as well. Yeah. I know you still love those two clips and so do I, be. Mm-hmm. And it's got that good Melbourne feel to them as well, having all the band well, I think the way Most the world of them one, were for the, Melbourne, the, 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 weren't they? Well, yeah, the sometimes one is, and I think it's more in the studio sort of setting. And I love the way the camera rolls in on Michael when he's singing. I think it's it's such a distinctive and a great shot of Michael uh, mm. when he's singing the sometimes one. The way the world one is great. It's more global. It sort of shows mm. New York and around the world, and it's all about the world and the problems in Tiananmen Square and all that stuff. So um, that one's sort of more of a political sort of shot. And also in 1989, he was very busy. He did the Save Me clip for, for Jenny Morris. Now, Jenny Morris, as we know, was a famous backup singer in, on the Listen Like Thieves tour, co-sung Jackson, um, which was one of the uh, songs that came out on the uh, Decadence uh, tracks and the extra stuff. Jenny was, uh, uh, I guess, uh, Andrew's muse who wrote several tracks for her and hits for her, as we discussed on the Andrew episode. What is interesting, though, B, is that probably after around sort of 1990, we don't see really much video clips being made for anyone other than in excess. Uh, yeah. So I guess Richard was also moving towards more 
once say mainstream theatre, he was just moving towards more filmmaking, yeah, and probably confined his video sort of stuff to in excess only. Yeah. I don't think th- I don't think they had him on retainer or anything, but, <laughs> but uh, I think yeah, he seems to just from the video point of view um, hasn't really made. I don't think he's really made any clips in the last sort of twenty plus sort of years, uh, but has sort of gone down a more of a, a, a filmmaker pathway, yeah, uh, which is probably what his true passion was in the first place. That's Maybe it. videos yeah. was something you stumble across, and a lot of filmmakers. You know, like uh, day, uh, if we think back to sort of people such as uh, Mark Pallington, who made Beautiful Girl, he went on to make Arlington Road and some very major Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we look back at David Fincher, well, a lot of people look at David Fincher as the director who made Seven and some of these major Hollywood movies, The Girl and the Dragon Tattoo and things. But David Fincher actually started off making videos for bands and things like that too. Okay. So, so a lot of it is a gateway sort of program. Maybe it's a chance of establishing rapport, building clients, earning an income, uh, getting a foothold in the greater industry. But a lot of directors do, you know, major Hollywood directors have come out of film clips and that short form medium. Yeah. Gone, gone into the long form medium, which is movies, you know? Yeah. 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 So, so what's his top selling movie of all time? Well, I think in terms of the movies, uh, what sort of Richard probably his, you know, first sort of major movie was Strikebound. And I, mm-hmm. I would probably sort of say that Richard's probably, probably not the type of uh, sort of director that he would want to necessarily be looking at for box office returns. Like he's probably an auteur in the sense he's a real sort of uh, a purist filmmaker and a lot of his movies weren't commercially sort of marketable exercises. They were probably done with more of an artistic vision more than a commercial vision and probably relied on a lot of funding from people who could help float projects and things. But Strike Bound was the first sort of major movie that he sort of put out. And In Excess fans probably know the All the Voices song, which is the closer off the swing. I mean, this was based on a 1930s sort of coal mining sort of strike in Australia. And I guess also in the UK, if there is a reference point, uh, bees in the 80s, you guys had a very significant sort of coal miner strike in the north, didn't you? Yes, Gargill. I think it was just in the north of England. I just remember as a kid growing up hearing a lot about it. And when I was watching Strikebound a bit early in that same era, I was thinking that was the same thing. But our, this movie was based in a, on the, the Australian sort of strike, strikes of the coal miners and the oppressed in that era in the 30s and the Depression. But, yeah, that, that particular movie uh, got great reviews. Obviously, it was played in Australia predominantly. It uh, garnered sort of a lot of attention and, and, as I said, great sort of feedback from those, you know, who were in it. Uh, it's an interesting movie to go back and see all the actors in it because there's a lot of who's who in it who went on to have pretty good careers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was probably his sort of major movie that he sort of did. Uh, I do know that uh, his next major sort of uh, movie, which was probably one of the great titles, was called He Died with a Falafel in His Hand. <laughs> uh, and that's based on a famous sort of book at the time. Aussie actor Noah Taylor sort of spearheaded that, and it's a lot of a lot of it's about shared living in Queensland and in Brisbane. It's quite famous for the movie, I think, either starting off or early in the movie, um, being in the backyard and they've got golf clubs and they're hitting cane toads over the fence oh, yeah. <laughs> with a seven iron and a five iron. I think iron. I have seen in it actually <laughs> yes well hopefully Laurie will find a clip of that and it put is, it on the it uh, is Facebook a very, page it is us. a very stylistic movie there's some famous <laughs> shots of Noah Taylor in the bathtub sort of staring up at the, the ceiling and things <laughs> And Noah Taylor was in a very 
previous famous Australian movie called The Year My Voice Broke mm. and went, went on to star in Tomb Raider and other things around the world. Oh, things. really? Oh, that. Was also, he was also in Almost Famous as the road sort of, you know, manager of the band. Yeah. But uh, he died with a falafel in his hand. It was a uh, <laughs> Great title. title. It was, yeah. yeah. It, it was, it was a, a cult movie and I... I guess sort of myself sort of coming off shared living, uh, anyone who's in their sort of early 20s to maybe late 20s will relate to this movie particularly well um, about trying to live with flatmates and the issues that you go <laughs> through. It's a very good movie and something we could uh, highly recommend uh, listeners to check out and sort of take on. Cool. How about we check out the trailer? I'm a writer. You can't write. I can write. Philosophical insights, direct experience with the mystery of being. Dusky whores, Russian transvestites. Enter me, enter me, she gasps. Enter me hard, enter me deep. It's for Penthouse magazine. I thought you all hated vegetarians. True love knows no boundaries, Sonny. Do you want to get married? Again, great reviews, nominations at our sort of local sort of awards and session, uh, well, uh, award uh, sessions here. And uh, as I said, it's gone on to big things. Quite a bit of a gap if you look at it. There's probably 17 years between uh, Strikebound and he died with a falafel in his hand. But only two years after Strikebound, as we said a bit earlier, he did do the Dogs in Space movie. So I guess in 84, you know, he did Strikebound. Within two years, he did Dogs in Space. And there was quite a sort of bit of a gap. Uh, between sort of like, you know, he died with a falafel in his hand. Although he did do, you know, some tally movies and things like that. So there was a couple of bigger sort of projects there that he did in the middle with some more tally movies and things. Uh, I think there was one called Naked, uh, which was Stories of Men, and that was a a tally movie that he did uh, here in Australia. But his probably later work over the journey, he's he's really got heavily involved in some documentary work. And, look, we all know the Mystify stuff, and we will get to that in future episodes. But... One of the interesting documentaries he did was at one called Auto Luminescent, and that was a documentary based on Roland S. Howard. Now, Roland S. Howard was the bandmate and co-songwriter in The Birthday Party with Nick Cave. And one of the very famous songs that Roland wrote was a song called Shiver. Uh, and I'm sure in post-production we'll put a little bit of an edit of this song over the top, but uh, the song Shiver's been covered by many artists around the world, and it is a bit of a musical masterpiece. Uh, and Roland was a guy who passed away uh, probably some 10, 12 years ago. And uh, there's an exceptional documentary, I think actually it was 2011, I should say, that uh, when this came out, uh, I remember getting five, it, was, it almost got six star reviews instead of five. So, Oh, wow. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, people love a, a good documentary. I'm sure you could stream it or you, mm-hmm. you can find it on any platform or might have been YouTubeable. But um, this documentary was a great deep dive into Roland's work. Uh, his relationship with Nick Cave and the band and his career yeah. and his songwriting and it was something that particularly uh, did well when, when released. She makes me feel so All right, so uh, a couple of things just to, we'd like to sort of share. In terms of some of the musical stuff, you know, Richard was nominated for what we would call our Australian Music Awards or the Countdown Awards and then they became eventually the Arias. Now, this is quite interesting, as, as we said earlier, B. He picked up sort of effectively the best video for 1983, you know, for Fraction Too Much Friction. He picked up the best video award for 1984 for Burn For You. And he picked up the best video award in 1985 for What You Need. Then he picked up the best video award in 1988 for uh, Need You Tonight. Then he picked up in 1989 the best video award for Never Tear Us Apart. And then he picked up the best video award in 1994 for The Gift. So he's a a five-timer in terms of uh, video video award-winning sort of exploits, which Mm -hmm. is uh, 
both Pretty. in his in excess and non in excess work. Pretty good. I think uh, you know, in terms of Richard, you know, if we sort of just just look back at his body of work, what I would probably sort of say as a as a fan and as a just an interpreter of his work is that I don't think Richard, you know, is one of those people who does any project for the sake of it. I think if you look through his sort of career choices and project choices, he's you know, you know, maybe some of the NSS clips were part of a juggernaut, but most of his decisions of what he chooses to do with, I think, you know, uh, he's done it with a sense of passion mm-hmm. and a sense of, of decision. He's not what you would call a director who's a gun for hire. He's not Michael Bay, you know. <laughs> he's not, you know, uh, Joe Dante who made uh, all some of those action movies like Speed and things. He's not a guy who does it for the dollar. I think he's, he's a artist. Yeah, an artist and an auteur, you know, is the French word for, I guess, a person who's really passionate about their craft. Mm. And I guess as a result of that, when you look at his career, he's really combined a really nice balance of, you know, social conscience type sort of projects in terms of movies and short films. Uh, He's done some very, very thought out interpretations of books. Um, he's gone off and done documentaries about meaningful figures, you know, such as Michael and Roland and, and other people, and I think even Troy Davies and things uh, from Dogs in Space. He even, you know, did a fantastic sort of production sort of role in a, for a gentleman here in Melbourne called Bob Maguire. Uh, and, and that's a guy, I think it was a documentary film called him Bob We Trust. And uh, he didn't direct that, but he helped produce it. And Bob Maguire is a very famous sort of priest or reverend here who has committed his life to helping those, you know, less fortunate. He's a real character. He's one yeah. of those who gets gets up there and has a good old laugh and he's pushing 90. Um, And I guess being sort of part of Melbourne, I think Richard is sort of, you know, quintessentially a a fantastic sort of Melbourne, Mm. uh, I won't say export. Part of the, yeah, the lining that threads it together. Yeah. Yeah. He he really is Melbourne born and bred and, Mm. you know, his his inspirations and some of the histories of his work has really been born from this city. And Mm. as I said, again, he does, I don't think he really takes on things that he's not interested in doing, you know, and when he does do them, he, he, he's not prolific when you look through his credits. I mean, he probably has 25 to 30, 40 maybe credits he's worked on, and that includes a lot of the clips, maybe even more than that when you add in the NXS clips. But he's quite measured in what he does and what he takes on. You know, his company, I think, Ghost Pictures, uh, is, again, only attaches itself to things that, you know, I think he's passionate about and feels yeah. like, you know, has something to say. Yeah, um, and they're often the, mm. yeah, and they're often the best sort of directors and people to follow. Like I think if we look back to even some of our famous, the better actors or you know the better you know singers or the better producers or directors, um, the ones who go out and do something that have a sense of meaning and purpose and they're doing it for the right reasons, generally the most rewarding experiences as, as an audience member. Yeah. Yes, Hayden, I get that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. You can tell when people aren't being authentic about things, aren't you? Agreed. And, and this, you know, it's got the yeah. passion. The passion is raw, and that comes across for for everything that Richard's done. There's a rawness to it. In a way, to me, sometimes can seem a bit studenty, but I think he puts that bit in there for that rawness. Well, he he took 22 years to basically do a documentary on Michael, and maybe initially he was thinking of a movie and then felt the documentary format would be better. But, you know, the collation of clips and audios and all of the stuff from, from the documentary, you know, dated back some 10, 12, 15 years, and he was just collating information, collating photos, mm. and collating mm. archival footage and things. And there's an expression sometimes when people do things for the inauthentic reasons, as you, you use. I think the word authentic is a great one because too many actors, directors, bands just dial it in 
which is the expression where they're on autopilot. And it relates a bit back to Andrew's interview the other week with Mark Opitz. I think he was basically saying, we don't want to dial it in anymore. We don't want to just be a stadium rock band, mm-hmm. part of a juggernaut. And, you know, my criticism of, of, of bands like, you know, Bon Jovi and bands, even like U2 these days, is that they just generally dial it in. Okay, album every three, four years, go on a world tour, big, big screens next. And it lacks subtlety and it lacks finesse and it lacks artistry in the sense that unless you're coming up with something really interesting that's a different bent on things, yeah. you know, and, and look, to U2's credit, you know, Zuropa was much different to pop and pop was different to to uh, all you can leave behind sort of, you know, uh, tours and things. But the last couple of tours, you know, you know, with U2 have probably just dialed it in a little bit. Yeah. And I think as an artist, Richard never dials it in. He, he comes no. from a place of uh, sincerity and he comes from a place of I have something to share and tell and I want to tell it the most purest way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually really enjoyed the doco he did on Troy Davis. I didn't know Davies. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know the story of yeah. um, this character that yes. I kept seeing pop up now and again, yeah. you know, yeah. like interviewing the band and and then he was in um that motorcycle baby. Yeah. And and it was it was like I wouldn't say he was damaged, but there was something inside that we needed to know what was going well, on. Yeah. And Richard really did a good job in allowing us to Troy had a horrible upbringing, mm, you know, with his did. brothers and things. And and then, but Troy, you know, in the early days was always to me the guy who spat at the end of the Listen Like Thieves film clip, you know. <laughs> um, but then I, I didn't quite join the dots till about 10, 12 years ago. He was the guy that was in Echo Homo because he looked different, uh, you mm. know. In that clip, he's got the beanie on. And But then Troy's the guy that also, uh, through Richard, did some stuff with, Echo Homo that was with you too, uh, a song called New York, New York, where Troy was involved with that. But I think, yeah, Troy was one of sort of uh, Richard's closest sort of, you know, hombres or yeah. part of the part of the, the Richard part. entourage. Yeah, the entourage. Uh, yeah. Um, and, again, quintessentially Melbourne. But, um, but yeah, so, look, we're probably going to wrap it up there a little bit with Richard because, we you know, we've got so much more to sort of dive deep on with a bit of a more of an in-excess bent. But, we just felt it was probably handy for everyone on this particular, you know, listing exercise of this episode to go, well, Richard's just more than the guy directed NSS clips. And I think for Richard's benefit, you know, he would love to be attached to more than just that. Yes. Uh, and 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 he is more than just that. But the world is a better place for having Richard Lowenstein in it and for the work he's contributed. So thank you, Richard. He here. Hey, this is David from Carping. Hi, this is Katie from England. G'day, it's Paul from Sydney. Hi, this is Ella from the Netherlands. This is Dr. Jim and that's a wrap. Well, Lee, that's a wrap. Uh, episode 83, we've only got one more sort of episode till Christmas time. Uh, sad, but also rewarding for our year. Definitely, there's a chock full about Richard, isn't there, that uh, still needs to be told in our next episode. We've only just touched on Richard, haven't we, really? Absolutely. Mm. Now, fan engagement, what sort of uh, hit your uh, social media platforms this week you'd like to acknowledge? Well, first of all, I want to say hello to all the new subscribers to the website and to the newsletter. It's been fantastic to see all these new people coming through. I've got loads coming through Twitter as well. So hi to you all. Um, Someone that stood out for me was Maria Zaro. 
Um, yep. And they were singing your praises, Hayden. They were oh. saying that um, you were really, really good at um, your research for oh. episode 80. So I don't even know what we did on episode 80, so but yeah. Okay. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you very much for those comments. I don't know yeah. what I said, but hopefully it resonated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What else? Oh, yeah. And there was um, a piece on Australian music Facebook page about yep. the, t- the Tim Rogers that we did. Do you remember I put that little bit in? Yeah, yeah. I saw you post that a, a couple of hours ago again, uh, which was, uh, yeah, I think you'd liked it or whatever on your Hutch oh, Nation yeah. page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. So that one we added into the Michael episode. Yeah, so um, a guy called Craig Platt. He yep. he actually um, posted that, reposted that again, and there's some great comments on there. Craig so Pratt I do... or Platt? Platt. Platt. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know a Pratt as well, but um, well, we all know Pratts. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, a, Craig Pratt has a good Aussie sort of uh, music page as well. But to me, that stuff with Tim Rogers is so real because mm. you know, and I'd love to get Tim on the show one day. Um, and, you know, be able to flesh that out a little bit because it was, you know, the real tall poppy syndrome in the mid-90s and, mm. you know, the ushering into the new bands and the older bands sometimes, you know, a bit like your parents. You know, when you're 16, 17, 18, your parents are like, you don't get anything. And then when you're 24 with two kids, you're like, gee, my parents really did a good job. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was the bit at the end, wasn't it, when you were saying, like, yeah. you're all singing his praises now, but take a hard yeah. look at yourselves. You weren't yeah, back I, then, yeah. Yeah, you know, right. turned you're, on yourself. You were probably part of the, you know, I think, I think, you know, not here to cast dispersions on everybody, but, you know, when people unfortunately go through a tough time and whether that's, you know, through depression or suicide or, or just, you know, a period of self-evaluation, it's often never one thing that sort of hurts people. Often it's just a, a death, death of a thousand cuts and, you know, a little bit of Noel Gallagher saying something, a little bit of the media here, you know, suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, then there's Bob and, you know, and, and no one, you know, no one's, no one's complicit or to blame for what Michael ultimately did. However, I think we're all going to be a bit aware of, you know, we send out in the world, you know, whether mm. it's through platforms or through comments because, mm. you know, people have feelings. Yeah, I yeah. understand that right now as well. January 2, B is a bit, a bit of a significant day. You've put a competition together that uh, mm. has set the platforms alight. Is that right? Is that the day we draw it? Yes, so the, yeah. day, the day we can speak together again. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so I just want to double check that because I know we've got a few things on the go, but we'll be drawing that and do a little live stream again. Okay, yeah, but- competition time, Hayden. Yeah, what we got? Well, this is our first adjustment or amendment oh, to a competition. We are, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we felt like uh, with the skate deck, et cetera, there, we understand there was a similar competition going out on the NXS, so the platform was a bit separate to ours, and we like to be different. We, we want to be unique. Mm. Uh, and we don't want to uh, compete for the same space or platforms that their page is doing. So we thought we would still do the January 2nd competition, B. We would still have the big hat, hat to draw it out of because no one likes drawing out a, a competition out of a hat more than you, Maybe Dr. Jim. And I've put everyone's <laughs> entries in now. So, Correct. In <laughs> so we're going to we're gonna let the NXS one on their website continue with their own skate deck. They can do all that. But we're going to yep. go into the fan packs. Do you want to announce what first and second prize is? Yeah. Well, we'll offer everybody the chance to win the whole complete collection, the whole complete vintage collection of um, all the um, things that um, Mary has put together. So that's the whole fan kit. And then second prize is the actual fan kit. So if you go onto the website, we've now put it onto the homepage. So you can read all about the different prizes that we've got. We've got over five different prizes to be won. 
All right. So good luck to everybody. Um, Get subscribing. Also, Mary's fan kits are now for sale. Um, not only the fan kits, we've got the more than vintage art kits and we've got the backstage signs and the last band photograph. And, and I've I now think, put, yeah. oh, sorry, I've now put those on the front on the actual homepage so they're easier to find for you all on the website. So I think just just uh, the other way we mentioned we we're running low on them, we are, and we've just asked mm-hmm. Mary if she could kindly put a few more together to meet demand. So that's how that's come about, hasn't it, Boo? Yeah, 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 well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're shot out the door, but now we've got a few more, so they're they're there for you guys. Um, the auction. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> right now, you spoke to me yesterday. Has been any movement since yesterday, or? Yeah, it's now up to. $875. Now, this is the Baby Don't Cry. Uh, single. Uh, single. You know, the 20th copy uh, on the planet. Numbered and coded. Brand new. Never been used. Signed by Mark Opitz and Andrew Farris and sent to your home directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so we're at $875 now. I guess the time of recording. I guess by the time of release it may have gone off. But, um, again, uh, we have a couple of more secret sign things that are on our on our way for you uh, over the next sort of couple of weeks as well that we will post, maybe even over the, the Christmas break, Boo. Mm, yeah, so keep checking the website and for all the updates. Now, just a quick thing going back, big thank you to Pedro and Fan Engagement. He sent some really lovely comments about our couple of welcome episodes, I think. Uh, he did. was. I haven't yeah, seen those. Oh, yeah. I have to go look. I fold them away in our folders, B. <laughs> oh my goodness! Give you one job and you overdo it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting clerical of people, uh, but anyway. So that was uh, very nice of you, Pedro. Thank you for that. And I think episode 80 was our uh, Thanksgiving episode. So those lovely comments by uh, was it Maria or Mario? Was it? Did you say Maria? Ma- ma- Maria. Maria. Ma- Maria. 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 How do you solve a problem like Maria? Well, look, what you do is you have to put on a good podcast and make sure she likes it. So thank you again. Uh, That was probably the Thanksgiving one where we delve deep. As we exit today, a bit of a tribute song we thought we would go out with, uh, well, it was evidence earlier, was the Talking to a Stranger song. It's a, it's a killer song. It still sounds fantastic, you know, nearly 40 years later. But this was one of the clips that sort of launched, you know, Richard into sort of the uh, wider mainstream audience in terms of, uh, you know, uh, directing work in video. So uh, sung by Mark Seymour from Hunters and Collectors. Do yourself a favour, download it, go buy their album. You know, Hunters are a great band. And one of Michael's best friends at the time, Greg Piranha, who we've reached out to, mm-hmm. uh, played in this particular band. So they're great friends of NXS. So going out today, B, it's Talking to a Stranger, the first major clip that broke through for, for uh, Richard. And it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody. And a big congratulations to Peter and Ali Law on winning the auction. Well done, guys. Mm-hmm.